Welcome to Real Talk with Deb and Nia. We're a mother-daughter podcast having real straight-to-the-heart talks on topics such as relationships, self-awareness, education, spiritual well-being, mindset, and even entrepreneurship. I'm Deb, the mother. And I'm Nia, the daughter. Join us weekly as we share our perspectives, tell our stories, and talk to experts all designed to help you live your best life fully and boldly. As a friendly reminder, you can find our episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and also on Google Podcast. So make sure to hit the subscribe button so you never miss out on the fun. Welcome to Real Talk with Deb and Nia. I'm Deb. And I'm Nia. Thanks so much for joining us. A special welcome if this is your first episode. Uh, We are nearing the end of our Vibrant Living series, uh, where we have had the privilege of having tea, oh, virtual tea, (laughs) with some really incredible and engaging and memorable guests. And we've been sharing it with friends. It's it's really been a great experience. And the wisdom that these guests have shared has been extremely helpful um, and extremely eye-opening. We are personally growing more and more from these conversations, and we hope that you are enjoying your own growth along with us. Before we start, I'd like to share a personal moment I had after a pre-interview we did with today's guests. So the first book I read that turned on my light bulb came from a book I found on my parents' bookshelf. It was called I Dare You by a man named William Danforth. My parents were educators and they never assigned this book. They they were uh, they had the habit of assigning books to me. So I felt it was like sneaking a peek at something that was forbidden. I was an early teen and I can only say that it rocked my world. I didn't quite know what to do with it, but I knew somehow it was important. Many years later, I found that book again on uh, Google and I gave it to Nia and I had her read it. The language might seem a bit old fashioned today, but the lessons regarding creativity, character, personal responsibility, power and growth are timeless. Over the years, I devoured other books of wisdom, and that's where today's guest comes in. She has already inspired me. I would never diminish her impressive success track record and in more than one profession, but that's not really what makes her so special, at least in my estimation. She reminded me of another old book. It was one by Napoleon Hill. The book was The Law of Success, and he synthesized that down into Think and Grow Rich. Lisa embodies many of the characteristics he outlines, such as self-confidence, imagination, self-control, enthusiasm, and she possesses a very pleasing personality. We so enjoyed our pre-interview with her. The list goes on. Um, I highly recommend the book, but the point is she could have been Napoleon Hill's success fit model. The thought really excited me because we get to share this very special woman and mom with you. Actually, Nia found her, so I'm going to let her introduce her. Okay. Our guest today is Lisa Siswain. Lisa is a professional ballet dancer turned multi-award winning multi-six-figure entrepreneur. 
She is passionate about empowering female entrepreneurs to dream big, to embrace their true self, and to create a business and lifestyle that provides them with cash freedom, time freedom, and more importantly, fulfillment. Welcome to the tea table, Lisa. Hi, thanks for joining us again. (laughs) Hi, Deb. Hi, Nia. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh, we're extremely excited to have you. Well, before we dive into it all, can you tell us in your words, how would you define vibrant living? Living really from the inside out. Living from what sets your heart alight. To me, that's what life is about. Life is about happiness at the end of the day. It's about we've been put here on this earth In my opinion, we're spiritual beings in a physical body, and we are here to experience everything. Not a limited amount that we are born into, but we are here to experience everything. And all of that starts from within. What brings you joy? And for everybody, that's going to be something different. And that's what's so beautiful about people inspired by different things. But yeah, for me, vibrant living all comes from within. Did you always think that? Do you know, I think I did, but I was not aware of it. To be perfectly honest, I think I spent the first half of my life kind of asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just went through the motions and I and I what I did and what I wanted to do with my life was what made me happy. Ballet made me happy. So therefore, if I enjoy dancing, why wouldn't I do this? Why wouldn't I make this my career? You know, those those um reservations and those doubts and things they never came into question but equally I don't think I was aware that I was following my heart you know I never really stopped to think about it I just went through the motions of every day I woke up and a little bit like now when I wake up now it is my morning routine that the moment I wake up I think I am so grateful. You ladies came to my mind first thing this morning because I knew this afternoon I was going to have the opportunity to chat with you again. So that was one of my things that I woke up saying I was so grateful for. But when I was younger, I used to wake up and I was so grateful for another day to get to go to school, to see my friends for ballet, that I was going to be doing this dancing competition. Those things came naturally. So I think I was living from within. I was following my heart's desire. Even back then, I just never really kind of slowed down to stop to think about why am I behaving this way? Why am I seeing the success that's coming from this? Why do I not seem to be struggling? When other people around me, when I look back now, they were. And my mother used to describe me as being horizontal. I was so laid back, I was horizontal. And I guess that, you know, in many ways is true, but I think it's only because I lived in that little bubble and I spoke to you guys yesterday about this bubble that I like to live in and I like to encourage my my clients to be living in. And in my lovely little bubble, my little Lisa bubble, I was that ballet dancer. Even at age 10, I was that ballet dancer on the Royal Ballet stage. I was at the Royal Opera House. I was dancing. And so within this happy little bubble, that was my life. So when other things came along in the world, you know, like um, 
having to do school exams and algebra and biology and chemistry and all of those sort of things. And don't get me started on physics. Um, <laughs> but all of those things, I just had quite a laid back attitude about it because at the end of the day, it's just something I needed to do. So I got on and did it knowing that within this little bubble, I was going to be that ballet dancer. And that's where I was aiming. And that's in my head who I was already. So everything else, I just, you know, I just, as I came across it, I just went, oh, okay, I, I, I have to do that. I'll do that. No big deal. Move on. And that's how I kept going through everything. Do you have any concept that you embodied what people are searching for later in their lives? Like that you had that going as a little girl and many, many people have no concept of it until the big idea hits or someone says something to them or they read something or they hear someone speak. Yet you had this coming in and no one and nothing. See, the bubble is beautiful. Nothing interfered with what was in your bubble. And that is to me, that is awe inspiring. It just really is. Yeah, you know. As an adult now, and because I, once I started training to be a coach and I started um, uh, looking into self-development and mindset work, all of a sudden I kind of had this light bulb moment where I went, oh, I've been doing that. <laughs> That's why that worked. And, and also, you know, to be, you know, 100% clear, there were times in my business where things wouldn't go right. And I was able to then look and go, oh, okay. So it was my mindset that allowed that to happen. So I was being shown both the positives and the negatives of how we control our destiny and how we, the way we think and we act and our beliefs and our actions, that, you know, manifests into our life, both positive and negative. Just as a child, I managed to stay in that bubble and I rarely popped my head out. I just kind of, I drowned out all the outside noise. So when people said, yeah, you're a nice dancer, but you know, the Royal Ballet really, come on, Lisa, lower your expectations. I just thought, well, I'm going to show you, I'm going to the Royal Ballet. And that was it. And I was very, very focused and driven. I knew what I needed to do to get there. I was always a plugger. You know, I'm not somebody who things come naturally to. Even as a ballet dancer, when I was a ballet dancer, it was the fashion back then really for ballet dancers to be extremely thin, extremely painfully thin, and also very flexible. What we would, you know, now we're more used to seeing that, uh, you know, dancers being a lot, lot, you know, sort of legs up around their ears and things as they're dancing. Whereas when I was dancing, it wasn't about that. It wasn't about the gymnastics um, element. It was more about the feeling, the emotion, the storytelling. And that's what I loved about ballet. And so even physically, I would have people say to me, hmm, you've got boobs, you've got a little bottom. That's not a ballet dancer. And I think, well, you know what? They can make a tutu that fits that. It's not a problem. <laughs> so, you know, there's any sort of hurdle somebody put in front of me, I just kind of, with, without realizing, without realizing, I would hear it 
and just choose to go, no, that's not part of my bubble. That's not part of my belief system. So thank you for that. But actually, this is what I'm doing. And yeah, totally hands up. Um, I was unaware I was doing that as a child. <laughs> it's only as an adult, I look back and go, oh, wow, I did that naturally. But obviously, as you get older, you do start to lift your head outside that bubble. You start to use your senses. You start to listen more to what people say. You start to see how other people react to you, how other people look. You start to question, should I be like that? And so, like I say, it's been interesting in the last couple of years, that realization that actually for a long time I was in my bubble. And then I allowed myself to come out of my bubble. And it's interesting when that happened, things started to go a bit awry. And I had to go, oh, hold on. I've attracted that to me by not staying within my bubble. I've allowed other people's thoughts, ideas. I took them on board and I started to entertain them. And all of a sudden they developed into habits or limiting beliefs of my own. And that played out. And thankfully, I had enough of these teachings around me and great mentors that I was able to draw upon to say, oh, I can go back to what I did as a child. That worked then, that will work now. And that's really, like you say, you know, Napoleon Hill, I mean, absolute worshipping there of Napoleon Hill because, yeah, I mean, his books are phenomenal. Um, so, I mean, for you to mention his name and my name in the same <laughs> sentence, I'm blown away. Let me tell you that. <laughs> I can die happy <laughs> in my bubble. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, what, what I teach now really is about saying to women, don't use those senses. Don't listen to what other people are saying. Don't, don't. You don't get stuck in that box where people have put you of saying this is what you are going to achieve. These are your limits. There is no limits. Go within your bubble. You have permission to dream big and you get to decide what you want and stay living in that bubble. Become that person you want to be now inside and then live from that inside out. And it will manifest into your life. It's the universal laws. It's going to happen. I think another thing added to your success, I think that's the gratitude piece. I really do. It just comes out in everything that you say, the way that you communicate something. And I think it's a really powerful force added into the bubble, <laughs> you know, just that gratitude, <laughs> the gratitude for your life. I'm hearing the gratitude for the opportunities that you had, the gratitude for your mind and the power that you innately knew you possessed. And I think that's also a place where we spend so much time ruminating over what we do not have. And how long it's taking to yeah. get what we want, that we don't enjoy where we are right now and the things that we already have right here in this space. And I just think that puts your life on steroids. Yeah, I think, again, like you say, I was doing all of these things without the awareness. I was so grateful of the opportunity as a little girl to say to my mother, I think I'd like to go to ballet class. And she said, yeah. Okay, let's make that happen. 
And then I said, actually, do you know what? I'd like to do a second ballet class and then a third. And then it was actually, you know, my ballet teacher saying, you know, Lisa's really got talent. We'd like to enter her into a competition. So, okay, so we're going to travel and we're going to do competitions at weekends. And she's going to have tutus that have been made by Birmingham Royal Ballet. And she's going to have these wonderful costumes. So ballet really took over my family's life, you know. And, you know, I'm, you know, I'm so grateful for that because, you know, every weekend that was the focus was taking me to whether it be up to London to dance or to a show around the country for a competition. That was the focus. They allowed me to live out my dreams. Um, so I I know that I was very fortunate that whilst I was in this bubble and I could focus on who I wanted to be, I wanted to be this amazing ballet dancer. I wanted to be the first person from my ballet school who got into the Royal Ballet. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to tick all of these boxes. I had this tick list of things that I wanted to do. Um, and what I'm so grateful for is I had a family who went, go ahead, do it. There you go. They didn't stop me. They didn't put barriers in the way. I have no doubt that if they'd have tried to, I probably would have pushed through anyway. <laughs> but it made the whole journey far more pleasant that they were on board with me. <laughs> As a child, did you understand the sacrifice of your parents? No, not really. I think because they always were so supportive and encouraging and if I said this is what I wanted to be, then they would back that up. I remember my brother, he went through a phase when he was younger where I think the Bible just fascinated him and he'd recite things from the Bible. And my parents all of a sudden went, we think he might grow up to be a vicar. He was about eight at the time. And, and my parents are not churchgoers at all. And they just kind of went, oh, OK, well, if that's what he wants to do and he's going to, you know, he can remember the whole Bible, then go for it. <laughs> so I think you know, they were. And, and that stems from the fact that I think growing up, they came from a very working class background. They wanted to better themselves. And I have to say their families weren't supposed supported with that their families wanted them to stay where they were they didn't they thought they were getting above their station by moving up so I think they had a choice they looked at it and said well we either stay like this and we follow the same patterns over and over again that focusing on lack that this is all we can do or we can say actually that's not how we want to live our lives we want to do this and we want to give our children the opportunities we never had. So at the time growing up, it just felt normal that I would go to ballet every night. Almost I wasn't aware that other little girls didn't get to do that. But I guess almost in some ways, I wonder if my mum played out the childhood she didn't have, she gave to me because she probably, I mean, my mother's got the most amazing feet for a ballet dancer. I was not blessed with her feet, but her feet are stunning. Um, <laughs> you know, these are proper Darcy bustle. They fold in half. They're incredible. I want those feet. So I wonder if there was a little bit of that as, as I was growing up that she was like, she didn't get this. So she really wanted to give it to me. So, you know, every opportunity there was, she would, you know, allow me to, live my dream really so 
yeah, I, I am very grateful for that. You know, it's interesting. We're a mother-daughter show. And not to dismiss or discount dads, I think it's interesting that there is the pattern of, in other people's worlds too, mom creating, mom and dad, but mom really, moms kind of plan things and make sure they're executed. Mom ensuring that the ball moves forward, that it doesn't just stay where we're just going to play in this playground. This is where I was. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't, but just that it takes a lot of courage to move from this is what I've always known. This is what my family always knew. A lot of people are scared to move in from that space for fear of losing the people, not necessarily the lifestyle, but the people, because people can be challenging sometimes and fearful. They're looking and saying, well, if you move over here to the other side of the tracks, you will be in some way devaluing or dismissing where you came from. So that's pretty impressive that your mom was able and your dad were able to make that shift and move into an entirely different life. And it really paid off for you. Absolutely. Yeah. It's an interesting dynamic because it's kind of like you've taken the working class kids out of the working class area and you've put them into a middle class area. But my parents very much relate to the working class, whereas my brother and I are very middle class. And because my brother went to boarding school from the age of seven, basically because it was boarding school where he got to play golf in the evening and <laughs> learn to shoot or come to ballet and watch Lisa do ballet. And he went, ah, I don't really have fun watching ballet, so I'm going to stay at school. So he that, you know, I think that broke my mother's heart. So he was like, he went off at seven and was a boarder and he loved that and had an amazing time. But he grew up around, you know, very privileged and wealthy people. Whereas, and and what was weird is when he'd come home for holidays, we would then go and visit my grandparents on a council estate. And so the juxtaposition of, you know, from his school in particular, where some parents would arrive, they would drop their children off by helicopter. That's the kind of level of wealth we're talking about there. And then at the holidays, whilst his friends would go off skiing and things, he'd go to a council estate to visit his grandparents (laughs) but you know I think that's where the gratitude also comes from because I think we saw the difference we saw that environment and so we were aware that not everybody has what we have there were certainly there was children who had an awful lot more opportunities than we had, but we never felt envious of that. We were always grateful for what we had and the fact that we were allowed to, you know, follow our dreams and do what it was that we wanted to do. So, yeah, I think that that grounding really has paid off. So you got into the Royal Ballet at 16 and, and you did ballet. You became who you had set out to be since the start. And then you had to make a pivot out of ballet. What happened there? Oh, OK. So, yeah, I, I got into the Royal Ballet. Um, I've just turned 16 and I moved to London, joined the Royal Ballet. It was amazing. Everything was going really well. And then I got an injury. And I'd never had an injury in my life. I had really strong legs and feet. I was one of these girls that, you know, unless 
the blood is coming through my point shoes, I've probably not worked hard enough yet. Mm -hmm. So I'll keep going. So my training and my discipline had meant that I had a really strong body and I got this injury and it, it really, um, it knocked me for sick to start off with. So again, I had to come back to, I was back in my bubble of don't look outside, don't listen to what people are saying. You know, this is going to get better. You're going to recover. Very interestingly, at that point at the Royal Ballet, when I had my first injury, I was sent to a physio, you know, you'd expect that. And I was also sent to a spiritual healer. So the Royal Ballet straight away recognized your physical and your spiritual. And we need to heal both parts. So that was kind of an introduction to me to looking elsewhere for growth, you know, for energy, for all of those things of what else is impacting me. So I recovered from that. I went on to dance. I joined companies. I danced all across the UK. And then one day I had an accident on stage, a really bad accident. The last thing you ever want to hear is an audience go, <gasps> and I heard that. And at the time you heard that, <gasps> you heard my back crack as well. And we were on tour. We've been on tour for a few months and this particular stage we were on was very shallow. Um, and basically to avoid a collision between myself and my partner doing our part de deux and another couple, I had to slow down a run into a jump. So it was very labored as I was trying to slow down so that this other couple had room to get out of the way and off stage so I could go into this huge jump. Uh, where my basically my partner kind of threw me in the air, twisted me in the air, and I landed in what's called a fish dive. And because I had to labor it, he then struggled to get enough momentum to twist me round. So I landed in a funny way and he just grabbed my back, pulled it up. But unfortunately, my legs were in slightly the wrong position. So the back of my head touched the back of my leg. And if we go back to what I said earlier, I was not one of those bendy girls. <laughs> you know, I was flexible for a normal person, you know, walking down the street. Yeah, I was bendy compared to them. But for a ballet dancer, I didn't fold in half. And so you heard the audience go, <gasps> as they heard the crack. And I continued and I managed to dance through just immense pain. And then the, the following day, I could barely move. And, you know, in the ballet and in the theater, the show must go on. It's very hardcore unless, you know, if you're still breathing, you can still dance. So just get on there and do it. Whatever it is, just keep going. And we'd moved to another theater and I was just in excruciating pain, my lower back. And we started, it was a matinee performance that day. And I finished the end of act one and the end of act one, I finished on the floor. That was where my ending position was. The lights went down and I was ready for the curtains closed. The audience were applauding and the curtain on my side of the stage didn't close. And I'm there thinking, what's going on? And I can hear the stage manager saying, Lisa, we've got a problem with the curtain. We've blacked out the lights. You're just going to have to get up. And I said, I can't move. I cannot move. My back had just given up and literally the stage manager came up, picked me up underneath my armpits and my legs pretty much stayed in the position they were in. 
And at that point, he said, I'm taking her to A&E. And um, I remember the call. Oh, it's, it's choked me up. Sorry. <laughs> I remember the call to my father saying to him, I'm in A&E. And they suspect I've broken my back. Oh, my gosh. And I have to say that was really hard to call him because I, I kind of thought this is I don't want to have to tell you this over the phone. You know, this this is I, I appreciated that this was going to be difficult for him. You know, hearing that so so many miles away, he wasn't able to be there. My father and I are very close. So I knew he'd want to be there to support me. So, I mean, it turned out I didn't break my back. Ironically, I was told it would have been better if I'd have broken my back because it would have been a quicker way to heal. Um, I did so much damage to the tendons and ligaments on my lower part of my back that it was a long time to recover. And I did recover and I came back to ballet. But at that point, I kind of I, I made the decision that maybe the time is better now to walk away than to end up being, you know, in a wheelchair because my back was so damaged that any little thing, it would just trigger it again. So that's how, you know, I had to pivot. And let me tell you, before I joined the Royal Ballet, there was three ballet schools that I auditioned for. In the UK, the, the Royal Ballet is the number one, and it's one of the number ones around the world as well. And then you've got English National Ballet Company, and then you've got Central School of Ballet. And when I did the interview for Central School of Ballet, the director of the school, he'd seen me dance for years, so he knew what I could do as a dancer. But we had a face-to-face -face interview, and he asked me a question, which at the time, I just thought, why are you asking me this? And he said, if you couldn't dance, what would you do? And I went, well, I'd be a ballet teacher. And he said, no, no, no. You can't dance. You can't do anything to do with dancing. What would you do? And at the time, I remember being really confused about like this because I kind of thought, you know, not being funny, but what do you care? Because if I'm not at the Central School of Ballet, you're not going to come checking to make sure I'm okay. And I thought, what a really strange thing to do. And then all those years later, I was kind of faced with it where I went, oh, he said that. And other words that came back to me was my father when I was about 18 saying to me, you don't know how lucky you are to get paid to do the thing you love. And again, at 18, I just kind of went, yes, daddy. And I did. And I carried on dancing and I didn't really allow that to sink in. And all of a sudden, here I was. I'd recovered from this back injury enough to be able to dance, but it wasn't right again. It had left me with pain, with fear over doing certain lifts. And this was just that, that love that I had for ballet. All of a sudden, it was kind of like somebody had snuffed that light out a little bit. And I was left going, oh, the thing I love to do that I got paid to do I can't do anymore. And now what else am I going to do? Um, so, yeah, I had to pivot. How old were you at this point? I was 22. I was 22. So my career ended early. 
yeah, because of that. Yeah. So, yeah, I had all these things in front of me that I wanted to do places, you know, ballets that I wanted to perform in that I'd never got the opportunity to do. Yeah. But you've got a choice, haven't you? You can either sit there and whinge and mope about it. And don't get me wrong, I'm happy to do that for a day. <laughs> kind of a day is my limit when I go, yeah, I've had enough of this. My eyes are puffy. I can't see. I've got a headache from crying. This is rubbish. I want to change this now. And so then all of a sudden that drive that I had, that plugger that I was of, well, there's got to be something else. You know, there's got to be something more. What do I love to do? And so... And I have to say, to start off with, it was so exciting going into a nine to five job and wearing a little pencil skirt suit, you know, <laughs> high heels. I loved it. <laughs> it was amazing. But I soon realized that I was going to work every day, working in customer service and sales, which I loved dealing with people. I loved helping them. I loved hitting targets, all of those little, you know, that I loved. Um but after a while, the excitement and the environment I was in, which was I was all of a sudden I was poking my head out of this bubble. And I was seeing that there were people around me who were turning up on a Monday morning miserable. I mean, we hadn't even started work yet. And they were, oh, it's another week. Everything was negative. Everything was focused on lack. And, you know, it was it was at that point that I really realized what my father had said was now I was doing what the majority of people do. Of I was going to a job that I didn't necessarily love just to earn money to then do the things I love. Whereas previously, my life was just about doing what I love and I got paid to do it. Happy days. And so I kind of went, what? Well, if I did that before, surely I can do that again. And my now husband, he was extremely supportive. He could see that being in an office job wasn't doing me any good. I, ironically, I was getting even more injuries by being in an office job because I was sat still at a desk for too long. My body couldn't cope with, I, I, you know, I was losing muscles, um, strength. Um, I was, you know, dislocating body parts you know left right and center really was <laughs> I was basically falling apart from sitting at an office desk and along with my body falling apart so was that that spark inside me that light that fire that drive that grit that passion it was kind of being snuffed out and I get you know I kind of went ah oh, no there's got to be something better I want to do what I love and all of a sudden I had to go but what do I love you know, I had to question that. I had to say, okay, so I've got to park the ballet. That was always what I love. What else is there about Lisa? What is there in the world that I love that I could do? And that was 16 years ago. And that was when I set up my first company then, which was actually a dog boarding company. 
it was looking after dogs. Um, my parents always had dogs. I always looked after their dogs when they went on holiday. So they didn't have to go into a kennel. The dogs had a fabulous time. I had a fabulous time. I went completely over the top. I would take videos of the dogs on holiday. A soundtrack would be put to the video. The dogs <laughs> would go back with printouts of holiday photos, telling them my parents, only my parents, where they've been, which parks, which beaches, this, that, and the other. And then they'd have, I'd make my parents watch the videos of the dogs running slow-mo of the ears of the dog flapping as we were going along. I loved it. I loved doing those extra little bits to make my parents happy all the while really enjoying the company of the dogs. And the business just went crazy. And within a few years, I had franchised it. And now it's a a national franchise around the UK. And so for the past 11 years, I've been helping other people um, really discover the fact that they can be their own boss, that they can follow their passions. So, you know, my franchisees come from all different backgrounds. I've got school teachers. I've got nurses. I've got women who came to me and said, I'm only a housewife. There's no only about being a housewife. You're the most organized person I know because you get those children out of the house sometime. You know who needs what, you know, in their kit bags and things like that. You've got it all down. So these were people that I could work with. I could build up their confidence. I could teach them how to run my business in their local area. And so, again, I discovered something inside me that lit me up. And just it gave me something every day to wake up to be grateful for that I had this opportunity to do this. What's the name of your business? It's Wagging Tails. Wagging Tails. So they do the same thing that you were doing with your parents' dogs, where they send the videos and the. That's really cool. It's such a simple idea that you turned into something that blesses people. You, you know what it was is I I would be looking after my parents' dogs because when I was trying to work out what is my passion, what do I really want to do? At the weekend, I would borrow one of my mum's dogs. Bailey would come up and stay with us. And I knew everybody in our neighbourhood by their dog. I didn't know their name, but I knew their dog's name. So I would be walking around and I would be chatting to their dogs. And then they'd say they were going on holiday and how they didn't know who was going to look after their dog. And they didn't want to leave their dog in a kennel. And I would say, well, I'll take time off of work. I'll look after your dog. And at that point, I kind of went, I wonder if I could do this as a business. Does this even exist as a job? And when I looked to see, does this exist? Yes, you know, people had already thought of this, but they had thought of it very much from a masculine business orientated point of view. So you had companies saying, we will board your dog, but you need to fill out a registration form. And to fill out the registration form, there will be a charge of £30. And then when your dog goes and stays with somebody, We won't let you see who that person is. We'll collect your dog and we'll take it away. Trust us, it'll be going somewhere nice, but you never got to see. And so I looked at this and went, "Mm, is that what my parents would want? Is that what Bailey would want? You know, I'm going to put myself in the mindset of Bailey, the Cocker Spaniel. What would he think if a stranger turned up at his door 
and took him away from my parents. And in my mind, and this is the dancer and me creating the character, I went, Bailey's going to think, what have I done wrong? (laughs) Why are they taking me away? So when I set up Wagging Tails, I set it up with what's right for the dog and what is right for the owner to give them complete 100% peace of mind so they can go off on their holiday to Barbados for two, three weeks, whatever it is, and they are not worried about their dog because they know their dog is having an amazing holiday. So again, it all came from that customer service. It was all It was all about giving. It was all about serving. It was all about solving somebody's problem in the way that's right for them, as opposed to what I was seeing around me was people were just going, how can I make money out of dogs and people? And to me, that was just wrong. It was that didn't it didn't sit comfortably with me. I wouldn't have slept at night working like that. That's just not who I am. So, um, so yeah, that was my first business. Um, and that's still going now, nearly 16 years later. Oh my gosh. You know, you, again, you intuitively figured out the whole business model. You identified who your avatar was. You understood what their, where their pain points were you, without all of the structure around it that people are paying lots of money sometimes to, to learn from other people. Again, it was an intuitive thing. How did you come to deal with all that goes around business? Cause you're floating from dancing to stepping into the hard business world. You know, how did you make that shift? How did you fill in the gaps? Were there gaps to fill in from a business perspective? Um, yeah. I mean, definitely there were gaps. Uh, I mean, back then, you know, certainly in this country, things like coaches weren't, that was not heard of. Um, we didn't have anything like business coaches or mentors or anything like that. But again, I think intuitively what I did was the same as what I did when I was a ballet dancer, when I was a little girl, when I was that 10 year old girl with the picture of my idol ballet dancer on the wall, I used to copy everything she did. I would analyze her and I would see how does she place her hand? How does she place her foot? Which way does her head tilt? And so I started to look at successful businesswomen, not in the area that I'm in, but just successful businesswomen. And how do they act? How do they carry themselves? What do they do? And I started to emulate that. And at the same time, when I came across gaps in my knowledge, it was either you know what, this is one of those things I'm going to have to suck it up. It's like doing plies for the millionth time every day. You got to do it. So this is something I'm going to suck it up and I'm just going to go through it. Or, you know, thankfully, I had a very obliging husband that when I turned around and said, I do not understand HTML and how you build a website that he said, "Okay, well, what is it you want? And I was able to paint him the picture of this is what I'm envisaging. And he was able to help me on that journey. I was that wife who, when I'm very much a night owl, 
and he's an early, early riser. So at sort of like half 11 at night, I'd be in bed. He'd be trying to sleep and I'd be nudging him going, I've had this really great idea. You, you know, those, you know, those videos that I've been doing, can you put a soundtrack over the top? Can you do slow-mo? Can you? So that's where all of that came from. It was from me going, wouldn't it be great? Is that possible? And him thankfully saying to me, well, I'm sure it is possible. We just need to work out how. So again, there was never that. And if he would have ever said to me, oh, I don't think that's possible. I would have gone, yeah, you think or you know, because I'm pretty sure it is possible. Somebody somewhere has got to be doing it. We just got to find out how. So, you know, Google really was our best friend back then. It was like, how do you do this? <laughs> and we'd work it out. You know, that's how. And yeah, I mean, when I think back now of my my initial advertising for my business, I mean, the initial logo and everything, I keep them and I look back on them, you know, with so much love, but they really are basic. <laughs> but at the, at the time, we thought we were the bee's knees, you know, <laughs> we thought it was amazing. And ironically, you know, we've gone on to win marketing awards. We've turned up at big awards dues. Um, I remember my daughter was eight months old and I was breastfeeding her at this award ceremony um, for um, best marketing and other big franchises, including McDonald's, turned up with their marketing team. And we rock up with an eight-month-old baby um, and a bit of a tired-looking mama here. And they said, oh, where's your marketing team? And my husband went, she thinks it and I make it. And they went, oh? And he went, yeah, that's how it works. And we won. And we won, you know? And it was such a... It was such an embarrassment to all those marketing teams who were there. You know, they've got qualifications and all of this stuff. And they're there working with these really big brands. And we just went, we just, in our heads, we, we believe it. We can see what it's going to be. And I tell him what it's going to be and how I want it to look. And he makes it happen. And we just put it out to the world knowing it's going to happen. And again, you know, now I say that from a place of understanding why that's important. Back then, I didn't. It was just, it was like the ballet dancer. I was in this, I was in my wagging tails bubble with in a world of very happy dogs, very happy dog owners, very happy franchisees. I was just living this happy little doggy life. And that was it. I didn't, I didn't see any um, objections in front of me, any barriers, any blocks, any hurdles. They were quickly sort of swept out of the way. There was no place for them in my bubble. What I think is really interesting about this is that we have so many cookie cutter blueprints out there. And it's mostly because we're asking for it. We want to know how to get from A to B. You know, where do I step first? Where do I step second? And sometimes we lose the magic of who we are and what we have to bring into the world because we're looking for someone to tell us how to do it like they did it so that we can assure success. Mm -hmm. And we don't trust that there are things within us that are ready to be birthed if we could just allow. And that brings to mind again, you're saying permission to dream big. And we create yeah. from a very different space when we're not trying to imitate. Yeah. 
Totally, totally. And that's why I love coaching women because women have so much potential, yet they have often been told that these are their limitations. This is all they can do. This is, you are, you are a housewife, therefore you fit in this box. I was told it as a ballet dancer, you know, my mother, I love her dearly, but my brother was very academically clever. I was told my brains were in my feet, therefore, and I would forever trip over my words and muddle my words up, whereas my brother speaks absolutely beautifully. He uses all these big words that I have to get out of thesaurus and go, what the hell does that mean? Um, you know, <laughs> can somebody translate what he's trying to tell me? Um, oh, you want a cup of tea? Oh, okay. You know, he just said that in a basic way. It's kind of like that. But so I... I could have very easily allowed my mother's belief of, and my mother pigeonholing us of, Lewis is clever, Lisa is artistic. Okay, yeah, I am artistic. Maybe my artistry can be used in areas other than the arts. Maybe I can bring that to other areas. And maybe I can use my experience to other women who have been told you are just this, or they believe they can only be this, I can say, look, I was a ballet dancer. I didn't do what we have in this country of A-levels. I didn't do a degree. I danced in a tutu on stage. And then I decided there's a gap in the market for this business. And I set it up and I won every award and made multi-six figures without ever doing any business qualifications because I tuned into what was important. What does my customer want and what can I give to help them? And ultimately, surely that's what life is about. It's about helping one another on this journey we call life. It's about getting through it, you know, being happy every single day. So, yeah, you know, I, we're, we're too quick to um, think that we can't do things. And, and I like nothing better than, than challenging people and saying, really, are you sure you can't do that? Because I'm pretty sure you can. <laughs> and, and you know what? And if you don't believe you can do it right now, borrow some of my belief, because I believe in you. I know you can do it. And until you believe in yourself, use my belief. Right. So, yeah, that's what excites me. <laughs> How can we look at what you did naturally and learn from that as parents and help our children grow into the kinds of people that ultimately live from this same space? OK, so now. I'm going to put my hands up and say helicopter mum right here. <laughs> <laughs> so whilst I was very focused and very driven and I didn't see any obstacles in my own way as a child, when I became a mother, interestingly, that made me very protective and want to kind of pave an easier path for her to make that, you know, and, you know, coupled my daughter, I had to have IVF to have children. I couldn't have children. I had to have IVF. I started with two. We lost one. So we only have my, my daughter now. So I'm really blessed to have the most incredible little girl. Um, 
she's completely different to me in many ways, um, which again, probably, you know, encourages that sort of helicopter mum that I'm like, why would you do it that way? You know, this is this is the way to go to move ahead in life. And I, I try to encourage that. Um, you know, I try to keep her within my little bubble and say, keep doing this, keep doing that. And actually, I learned that I think what my parents did, which I didn't pick up on at the time, is they allowed me to make that decision early on that I want to be a ballet dancer. And they stepped back and they went, okay, you want to do that. You know what it involves. And it was down to me to step up and make it happen. And I realized with my daughter that actually what I was doing was I was trying to control and I was trying so hard to keep her in this little bubble that actually I wasn't allowing her to kind of go off track every now and then so that she had to learn to course correct. She had to learn to go, oh, okay, I don't like, you know, I don't like how this feels or, oh, if I don't do it that way, it doesn't work. She had to learn herself. So interestingly, as a mother, I've had to kind of step back and go, oh, she's got to discover her own bubble. You know, now she is. Now she, she really is. And it's beautiful to see um, she embraces so many mindset techniques and NLP techniques. And she's obsessed with crystals and, and everything. You know, if I dare to say, oh, I've got a bit of a headache. She's like, Mama, would you like me to get my crystals? Lay down. I have an amethyst for your head. So she's all over that. It's beautiful to see. But it really surprised me that as a mother, I guess I was a bit controlling over that. Maybe I didn't trust my intuition. You know, maybe for so long I had stepped back and I'd allowed my intuition to guide me. And all of a sudden I had this baby, I'd lost one, I had this precious cargo and I fell into that trap of saying, okay, somebody else tell me what to do. Oh, okay, I've got to follow her around. I've got to make sure she doesn't hurt herself. And I fell into that trap. And it, the only person who could break it was me. It had to be, you know, I had to kind of look in that mirror that we don't want to look in and go, oh, I've created this. <laughs> I can't blame anybody else. I have to look at myself and say, okay, if I want to give her the best opportunity, I make sure that these learnings are around her, but they're there for her to dip into if she wants and I have to step back and allow her to make her mistakes and also for her to develop her own intuition, because otherwise it's me using my intuition for her. And that's, you know, that's not going to help her when she's 30. Well, and it doesn't work <laughs> because yours is just right for you. Right. And they have their own. Me is we're a lot of like and we're a lot different, different. <laughs> You know, and I appreciate the differences definitely more as as she gets older, too. But I would go in and out intuitively. It was like, oh, baby, what? as long as you know that this is how it looks to the rest of the world and you understand the differences. What did I used to say to you? Well, I used to like to mix seasons in clothing. Like I'd be wearing a summer top and, you know, winter or fall pants or whatever I'd be doing. I just I'd mix it all up. And so I'd walk out of my room and mom would be like, 
you do know you got three different seasons on and none of them are the season that's actually happening outside. And I'd be like, yes. And she'd be like, okay, go on with your bad self. <laughs> you can, as long you as you love it, knew. you can rock it. <laughs> when we're in those spaces and we're in sync and I'm definitely more in an intuitive space, it absolutely works. Yet there are still some times, some leftover messaging from growing up where, you know, I am thinking of, yes, but if she goes out there just like that, they're going to crush her. And I have to, Mm, you know, back away from that, like, or she'll bulldoze through it. And sometimes I'm better at it than others. I wish I could say that I was a hundred percent, you know, always there, you know, sometimes I press and I have to go, I'm so sorry. It was just an old message that got in the way. She told me when she was a very little girl, don't worry, mom, I'm going to come out. Okay. And uh, I believed her because there were just crazy times where I'm like, it's not looking like it right now, but I know she's going to be okay. She's one of those that bounced off walls. You know, I had a similar thing with my daughter when I took her to school for the first time. And, um, Uh, It was nursery school and she was dressed up all in her little uniform, her blazer, her little boater on her head. And she looked so tiny Um, and she's very young in her school year, being an August baby. And I'm walking her in and I'm trying to stay composed. And she turned to me and this daughter, not even three, said in the words of basically a 30 year old, she tapped my hand and said, it's all right, mama. You'll see me at lunchtime. You'll be okay. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) It kind of put me back in my place and went, okay, so I've got to learn to let go of you a little bit. And, you know, all my life in my ballet, in my, my businesses, I was the driving force. If I wanted something, I created it. And all of a sudden, I had to step back and let her do that let her experience it her own way. And yeah, yeah, it was, it, it was very alien to start off with. And I still have to catch myself and go, no, don't do that. Let her learn, let her, you know, experience these things herself rather than stepping in and being that helicopter mom and trying to solve and trying to sort and all of those sort of things. And she is a very different child to to me. She's got some of my artistic qualities. Um, You know, she's a great little uh, drama student. She's very expressive with her, her face and her hands. And we're always doing funny little, you know, if anybody were to be watching us a fly on the wall, they'd be thinking, what is going on in that house? Because we have little sayings between us and little funny little dances that the three of us do. We're like the three musketeers um, in our house. But at the same time, she's so damn clever and she's so bright. And she's been used to being in this adult world, growing up around a business. So, you know, one of the things I'm most proud of, yes, I get to work with these amazing women. And what I love about it when I coach is I get them to believe in what's possible for them. And then I turn and I look at my daughter and my daughter says to me as a 10 year old, well, I'm going to have this business doing this. I'm going to have that business doing that. I'm going to be an, a famous author. I'm also going to be on stage acting that. And she's got, you know, and I'm there going, great, go for it. Why not? 
You can do all of these things. So it's amazing to see firsthand if we don't put those limitations, if we don't put them into a box, if we allow them to keep dreaming, if we don't get to that point, which I think is, and and Deb, let me know if this happened to you, but as a child, you dream and then you get to a point where somebody says to you, no, you need to grow up now. You know, and I think that's what I hear from so many of my clients is the dreams they once had somebody shattered and told them they weren't allowed to dream big anymore. This is where you come from. This is what you can do. This is your limits. This is as far as you'll go. And when I work with um, my clients, the first thing I get them to do as part of my success method is to dream. It's to set a goal. And to set a goal that they think, that's impossible, Lisa. There's no way I can achieve that. It frightens them, but it excites the hell out of them. And that is something that I see my daughter doing every day. Every day she comes home from school and she's learned about something new. And all of a sudden she's going to, I could do that as a job. That's really interesting. I'm going to save the world. We're going to, I'm going to clear out all the plastic from the oceans because that's what she's been learning about that day. And I'm very mindful to say, you want to do that, you go for it. Rather than saying, oh no, hold on. You, you're clever, so you want to go down the route of being a lawyer. That's where, that's where we're going to send you. And that's what happens to so many people. You're, you're pigeonholed from such a young age. And that's just such a shame because, you know, why only have one career? Or, you know, you can, you can literally be and do anything you want to. So, yeah, go for it. It's definitely... I know for me, like you said, people feel that, you know, you have to stop dreaming or or just be more realistic or, and there's so many different ways in which people do it. And it comes from so many different people as well. Like it could be a teacher, it could be a coach. It can just be kind of like you were saying with your parents, you know, they came from like a working class and that class feeling of like, no, you can't go beyond this. Or this is how it's always been done. You can't change this. And it's done from, I think, a place of consideration. <laughs> you know, I, I think I think because it's like, well, what would you do? We don't know that could be done. Yeah. Yet at the same time, it's very it's a very hard um, kind of conditioning to overcome. You know, like I'm always like, why are there exceptions to people? You know, we have this idea like, oh, well, they're an exception. But there's so many exceptions. So it's not really an exception. Like it's possible. You just gotta find yeah. it. You know, and you just gotta Yeah, find you want it. you wanna only see those exceptions within your bubble. Yes. Mm-hmm. Those are the only people you wanna focus on. And then all of a sudden they're no longer exceptions. That's the norm. And if that becomes the norm, then all of a sudden it normalizes success for you. So mm-hmm. that becomes something you can do. But like you say, people they restrain you and it comes from a place I think of misguided love because this is stretching you beyond an area they know so they can't support you anymore this Mm -hmm. is something they can't help you with and that is scary to let go and to lose and to send you out 
But we're also always told that growth happens in incremental steps. Why? Why do I have to go A, B? Why can't I go A, L? Mm-hmm. Why can't I do that big jump? Well, I can. Mm-hmm. I've just got to believe it's possible. And I've got to ignore the people who say, oh, don't run before you can walk. You've got to do this first. You've got to do that first. No, you don't. You do what feels right for you. And then you make that happen. You believe it's possible. You take actions. You look at the people who have already done that. Because, you know, for everything that, you know, amazing thing that we can think of in our head, you're bound to find somebody who has already done it. And if not, be that first person. Why not? That's the exciting thing. Be that first person to do it as well. You know, forge your own way. But yeah, it's like you said, when you are younger, there are people who unwittingly plant these seeds into our amazingly fertile subconscious brain. (laughs) Oh, no, don't, 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 you know, don't go too far. Remember your limits. You come from here. You can only do that. And we start to take that on if we're not careful. And if once they're there, we then need to dig them out, weed them out, pull them out, and we need to plant some nice, pretty, positive flowers in our little garden within our bubble. Honestly, you girls have got to come into my bubble. It's amazing. Yes, we love I bubbles. Want, I don't want to be in the bubble. <laughs> I think sometimes I'm thinking I might need to trademark the bubble. <laughs> yeah, make a journal, a, a bubble. It's journal. so funny. My dad used to say to me when I was growing up, "No one can burst your bubble," and I guess it was because no matter what happened. I maintain this sense of, well, it can't be that bad. You know, we'll just move this way or pivot that way. And so I love your bubble, but my dad, I think, said it. And I think it landed with me as I was in this other world that wasn't real or realistic, as opposed to this wonderfully magical place, you know? Yeah, it it comes back to that whole sort of thing of at some point in your life, somebody is basically saying you need to grow up. Yeah, you need to leave that alone. Yeah. And that's where that kind of I'm guessing from you, maybe that's where that sort of insinuation about this bubble. It's kind of like, you know, you need to leave that behind and move on, you know, it's that yeah. sort of thing. Whereas, yeah, my bubble, I was, yeah, it, it was a solid bubble. Nobody <laughs> was breaking through that. <laughs> you know what? It's so funny. I think it's no one ever really broke through it. And again, my other line was how hard can it be? People are doing it. Um, yet I didn't have the same. I love the relationship you have with it. I sometimes forgot I was in the bubble. I'm in it, but you have this awareness of always being in it. So I thank you for that gift of giving my bubble back to me. I mean, we've got a choice every day, whether we look at all the rubbish going on in the world and whether we let that impact us. Mm-hmm. or whether we stay within our little bubble and focus on where we want to get to. And I believe that if we all did that and we focus on where we want to get to, where we want to get to is always a better place, a better place for us and the people around us. So therefore, we are going to create a better life for everybody 
by doing that, when we leave our bubbles and we start looking that's going on in the world and we start letting that impact us and stressing us out and getting us down we then start changing the way we act we interact with other people our energy drops it's that just to me can't be good so I'm happier in my bubble I'm aware I poke my head out every now and then I have a little look around I see what's going on and I go back in (laughs) (laughs) that is excellent advice Excellent advice. Is there anything you want to add to this conversation? This has been so wonderful. Um, Really, for me, it's just I hope that I can inspire somebody who perhaps right now is not satisfied with where they are to know that you can change it. That is possible for you. There is nothing special about me other than I chose to believe in myself and that anything I wanted to do was possible and I went after it. And I just want to get that message out to anybody that your circumstances and, you know, I've not always had the easiest circumstances. I've had times in my business where things didn't go so well. And I had a choice at that point. I can either come out of the bubble and look around and go, well, this is rubbish and I'm going to sit here and dwell on it, which is just going to create more of the same. Or I can poke my head up and go, "Okay, that didn't quite go how I wanted it to. I'm going to put my head back in the bubble and I'm going to envisage how I now want it to go. And I'm going to course correct. And I try and adopt with my daughter the language of if things don't go right, Say to yourself, oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Okay? Because then we're not emotionally involved. It's like you've stepped back and you've just gone, okay, that's interesting. How can I change it? And really, you know, if you've got a strong enough why, a strong enough reason for wanting to change your life, then If you do come across these bumps in the road, which you will do, we all will do, because let's face it, it's not just that we can control what we're doing, but we can't control what somebody else is doing. And when they come into our lives, as much as, you know, we always hope we're only going to bring the right people into our lives. Every now and then a curveball is going to come in and you're going to think, whoa, wasn't expecting that. And actually, there's a lesson in dealing with it. And you've just got to come to that with, okay, that's interesting course correct and move on and stay focused in your bubble on your why what is it I want to achieve what for me is gonna make me happy now life's about living about being happy every day oh it's beautiful that's wonderful advice wonderful advice I like the bubble (laughs) Mia likes the bubble We wish everyone a beautiful bubble. Yes, yes. Lisa has a very special offer for our guest listeners. We've been talking about her career in the ballet and her Wagging Tails franchise. She's also a coach. She has her own coaching programs and she is offering, she has two spaces left for her one-on-one 12-week success launch pad coaching program for 2021. What better way to finish off the year than by following her success method? Do you get to give yourself permission to get clear on what you really want? 
to overcome the belief and blocks that have been holding you back from achieving the success that you've wanted in your business. And then you can set up new beliefs that will empower you to become the woman that you choose and want to be. And you can also learn how to manage your energy, take aligned action and work with the universal laws to launch you to the success you want, whatever that may be. For listeners of Real Talk with Devania, she is offering a 250 pounds for U.S. listeners, that is $338.50 yeah. <laughs> yeah, today. It may be different tomorrow. It might be a 15 cents value. Um, but a, a discount of 250 pounds and U.S. dollars, $338.50 for her transformational program that is 2,750 pounds, otherwise known in U.S. dollars as $3,723 today. (laughs) I'm sorry to our Canadian listeners, we did not convert to a Canadian dollar. (laughs) Um, The offer is open to those who book a discovery call, it is free, with Lisa, um, and talk and see whether her program is a right fit for you. Uh, just make sure that you quote Real Talk with Debania when you're booking your discovery call on her website, which we will have listed on our podcast blog page. Lisa, what's your website name? LisaSoswangCoaching.com. I say at the moment because I'm really excited that I'm launching a new website shortly because I'm bringing out a new group program. But at the moment, it's just going to be for UK um, ladies. Um, I hope I will roll it out in the future. But that group um, program is my successful entrepreneur academy. And that's just really about creating a supportive environment with other women, you know, stepping into their power, allowing themselves to dream big, to discover what it is that lights them up, to be able to tap into their intuition, to uncover all of these blocks and beliefs that have been holding them back and to push through within this supportive community whilst at the same time giving them the tools because I think as entrepreneurs we've got a lot to learn you know we wear a lot of hats and you know we we kind of feel like we're expected to know it all and we don't and actually that expectation can weigh quite heavy and you know on our bubble Uh, (laughs) so I want to lift that pressure by saying here's the tools that you need as an entrepreneur whilst at the same time coaching them through the mindset shifts that they need to make to be able to create the success so at the moment my website is lisasuswainecoaching.com that will remain that url will always be there but if you go to it you know, in the next couple of months, and it redirects to the successful entrepreneur academy. That is still me, and you'll still be able to apply for those one-on-one, twelve-week coaching sessions. Um, yeah. Yes, and her offer ends on December tenth of this year, twenty twenty-one. So that's the discount. She will still be here. Yes, she will still be here. <laughs> <laughs> Well, not. <laughs> so somewhere you took a wrong turn on the path and you don't find this until later. <laughs> you don't get the extra deal, but you still have access to the prize inside the bubble, which is Lisa and her coaching. So oh. that, I think that's priceless. So. Oh, thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. Deb. We so completely 
are so grateful for you coming on the show, Lisa. We've had such a wonderful time and so inspiring. Like I'm hearing things even for me, like it's like a mini coaching session for me. <laughs> uh, so it, it's been so much fun. Thank you so much. I, I just, I think you're incredible. And, oh, you know, I said it to you and it probably <laughs> sounds a little fangirlish <laughs> fangirlish yeah. oh okay so it may sound a little fangirlish but I do I, I really feel like you embody so intuitively that which people are really searching to become it's really been a privilege to kind of bear witness to that so thank you oh thank you so much for holding a beautiful space for me to be to be actually quite vulnerable, you know, it's been it's been a while since I've gone back and I've revisited those memories of my dancing days and that that pivoting and what it felt like at the time. But actually, it's been really cathartic to do that. So I thank you both for, you know, holding that safe space for me to do that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And you're welcome. <laughs> To our audience, thank you for joining us. We hope you have enjoyed today's episode. Remember to click the subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you are listening to and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you feel so inclined. Also remember to follow us on our social medias at RealTalkDN. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook. We will also have Lisa's social media handle on our podcast page so that you can find her and follow along on her adventures. We hope to see you next time. Thanks for joining us. Real Talk with Deb and Nia can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and on Google Podcast. You can also check out our YouTube channel. And make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Real Talk DN. See, See you, you next time. time.